This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Temeskin, who died at the age of 15 of osteosarcoma, when my Jewish friend, uh, his doctor, Rick Hodes, in uh, Addis Ababa, asked him when he was 12 years old, he met him when he was 12 years old. When he was 12 years old and Rick knew that he had a fatal disease of osteosarcoma for which he couldn't recover, well, it likely that he wouldn't recover. When he was 12 years old, Rick says to him, Temeskin, are you afraid to die? Wow, what a bedside manner he's got, huh? You need that for a doctor? Are you afraid to die? He asked a 12-year-old boy, Temeskin. And Temeskin, and this soul, by the way, I want to tell you this, this so impressed Rick that when we had dinner together one night, Rick was the one who relayed this to me, not to Mexican. And Rick told me, looked me right in the eye, and he says, without a flinch, without a fear, without a, a drop, to Mexican says, no, Dr. Hodes, I'm not afraid to die because everyone's going to die, this 12-year-old wise boy says. Everyone's going to die. Sure, everyone's going to die. His father died. All his brothers and sisters had died. He lived in a village not far from us where everybody dies, died pretty young. So he says, no, I'm not afraid to die, Dr. Hotz, because everyone's going to die. And it doesn't matter when you die. It matters what you do before you die. 12-year-old Ethiopian boy from the mud hut. Now, the question about what Elijah and Moses are talking about is not what he would accomplish before he died. And that's usually the way you think. Death, accomplish, oh, before you die, what do you accomplish? No. This is not what they're talking about. They're not talking about what he's going to do before he died. They're talking about what he would accomplish by his death, in his death. You know, the French have a phrase, you know, when I was over there in in the 60s, and um, I learned that the best way to speak French is to learn their mannerisms, because the French are very good at speaking in mannerism. Oh, can they are an art at expressing disgust. They're fantastic. They can express disgust like no one else. And I learned how to do that. And so, you know, they, they have this way they go, go oof, that's what they do, you know? And then they have a phrase they'll put it on, they'll say, oof, a croissant. Very popular in France to do that. Oof, a croissant is an interesting phrase. It's been translated, what's the point? Oh, what's the point? 
but it doesn't really, literally, it's not saying what is the point. And really, when you look at it, Moses and Elijah are discussing about aquasaser. Aquasaser literally means, what is this serving? What is this serving, you know? So, you know, Moses and Elijah were discussing aquasaser la mordie. So, in other words, they were talking about what is this going to accomplish? The death of Christ, the death of Jesus. Well, much was accomplished in the death of Jesus, and that's why when he died, he cried this one word, which it's translated in the Greek, detelestai, but you know, when it says in the Bible, it is finished, but really, he didn't speak Greek from the cause, he spoke Hebrew. What he cried out was asa in Hebrew, asa, which was then, anyway, asa. It means uh, done, it comes from the word to do, or accomplished, accomplished. So what he cried out was accomplished. So what was it that he accomplished in his death? You know, John Owen wrote a book. John Owen wrote a book called The Death of Death and the Death of Christ, of Jesus. The Death of Death and the Death of Jesus. So what they were talking about was how the death, his death was going to accomplish the death of death. He accomplished the death of death and his death by destroying the person who had the power of death. Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So in his death, well, we have the picture from Genesis 3. In his death, Jesus is raising up his heel above the venomous snake. And even though the venomous snake bites the heel of Jesus, it doesn't stop him from coming down with a thud as he crushes the head. He is able in his death to crush the head of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. First accomplishment, Jesus achieved by his death the destruction of death itself by destroying the person who had the power of death, that's Satan. First accomplishment. Second accomplishment that Christ made by his death was the removal of the penalty for our sins. John one twenty nine. John one twenty nine. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. So when Jesus died as the Lamb of God on the cross, he took away the sin of the world. What's that mean? takes away the sin. Every person who repents of their sins and turns to Christ, he takes that person's sin and he erases it from the ledger book of the debts that that person owes to God and he opens the door for that person to come to God. This is what's meant when God said in Isaiah 44, 22, Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, I have redeemed thee. This is what it meant when the invitation was given in Acts 3.19, Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. This is what it means in Hebrews 9.26, in Hebrews 9.26 when it says, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Taking away sins means to blot them off or erase them from the list that brings the judgment of God, making it so that a person doesn't have to pay for his own sins. This is the second accomplishment that Jesus achieved when he died on the cross. He took sins away. 
The third accomplishment that Christ made by his death was reconciliation, reconciliation, or making it possible for us to be friends with God. Romans 5.10, Romans 5.10, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Reconciled by the death of his son. Without the death of Christ, a person can try all he wants to be a friend of God, and all he'll have is a dead religion of works, traditions, but no relationship with God. Because by ignoring the death of Christ, with just a simple, I'm sorry for my sins, and I'll fast all day long, it's not going to result in a reconciliation with God. There's got to be a sacrifice, as God says in Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22, almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. The fourth accomplishment that Christ achieved by his death was redemption. Redemption. 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. Redemption, a payment. Acts 20, 28, a payment, Acts 20, 28, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Redemption is a payment. Redemption is the same as ransom. It's a payment. It's a payment that causes a person to be released. Job 33, 24, Job 33, 24, he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. See, Jehovah Jesus in the Old Testament said, in Hosea 13, 14, Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I'll be thy plagues. O grave, I'll be thy destruction. And then Jesus of Nazareth in the New Testament said that he would give his life for this ransom in Matthew 20, 28, Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the third accomplishment of his death. The fourth accomplishment Jesus achieved by his death was this that we're talking about here, the redemption or the pain. And now the fifth one, the fifth accomplishment that Jesus secured by his death was justification, justification. Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Even though a person may have his sins removed from having to be paid for, he's still left with the stigma of being guilty. You've heard this when President Trump forgave Mike, or didn't forgive, they forgave somebody else, I forgot. And all people say, oh yes, he's forgiven, but he's still guilty. See, that's why Christ's accomplishment was justification, which removed the guilt. Romans 3.26, Romans 3.26, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's the fifth accomplishment by his death, justification. And the sixth accomplishment of his death was cleansing. Revelation 1.5, Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Zechariah 13.1, Zechariah 13.1, in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Two different things. Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The sixth accomplishment of his death was the cleansing, was cleansing. So in verse three, when we read that Moses and Elijah were talking with the Lord, and we get the details of what they were talking about in Luke 9.30, Luke 9.30, behold, there talked with them two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish in Jerusalem. What they're talking about were the accomplishments of his death, which were destruction of death, one, two, removal of sins, three, reconciliation with God, four, redemption, five, justification, and six, cleansing. Those are the six accomplishments that Christ achieved by his death, and that's what Moses and Elijah were talking with him about in verse three. And that's what the Lord meant when he cried out in his last word on the cross, accomplished, finished, done, asah. He cried out, accomplished the destruction of death and Satan, accomplished the removal of sin, accomplished reconciliation with God, accomplished redemption, accomplished justification, accomplished cleansing. That's all what he meant when he said finished, accomplished, done. And then in verse Luke 9.31, Luke 9.31, the word used when it talked about his death, it didn't say his death, it says decease. Well, that's not a foreign word to us. We use that sometimes. Oh, he is deceased, we say. What does that mean? It means he's dead. He is deceased. It's an interesting word. It's an interesting word because of the Greek word that's behind that word. The Greek word that has been translated deceased in Luke 9.31, Luke 9.31, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish in Jerusalem. The Greek word behind that word deceased is the word exodus. It's the word exodus. Exodus means to leave. That's what you'll do when this is over in a few minutes. You will exodus. It means leaving or departure. And that's what death is. It's a leaving it's a departure from this life. It's a leaving. And it always begs the question, the question, I'm leaving. Someone says to you, I'm leaving. You want to say, where are you going? Where to? Where are you going? We say that when a person dies, we say he passed away. And the next question is, where? Where did he go to? He passed away. Reminds me of the time when Cheryl and I were, were in vacation in um, Rancho Mirage. And uh, we were there at a pool. We were at the pool there. And we met a, we met a lady at the pool. And she had just lost her husband and a Jewish lady. Jewish lady there just lost her husband. And what she said to us more than once as we were talking to her, she was very upset. She said, I just wanna know where he is now. I just wanna know where, he passed away. I wanna know where did he go? Where is he? And that's brought out for us in Luke 9.31 by using the word Exodus. Now, Peter now speaks. Oh boy, you gotta hold on to your hat when Peter speaks. In verse four, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, it's good for us to be here. And if thou wilt, let's make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So verse four starts off with the word then, and it brings us to an exact moment when Peter spoke. And this moment is really captured for us as we already read in Luke 9, 30. You remember that they fell asleep. Most important thing happens in their lives, they fall asleep. Anyway, they fall asleep. And then when they wake up, Peter is like, whoa, whoa, look at all this. And he speaks up, okay. So Peter, it's brought out in those verses, he didn't know what to say. So what does he do? He says, he speaks. He doesn't know what to speak, so he speaks, which shows us that, you know, the best thing you can do when you don't know what to say is don't say anything. And at that. The James and John, they got it, but Peter 
All right. So he's overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed, but they say it's just too much to process. And the Lord has transfigured the beam, the glory, the Moses, the Elijah. It's just too much. And it's specifically, it's when Moses and Elijah were leaving that Peter got really afraid and he was overwhelmed. And he said, and that's when he spoke. It was like, oh no, you're leaving? I barely had a chance to see you. I didn't have any time to speak with you, Moses and Elijah. And so Peter is so caught up with this feeling of loss from Moses and Elijah leaving that he blurts out, let's make three memorials here right away. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Exactly what God did not want to have happen with Moses. And that's why he kept the burial place, the the grave of Moses, a big secret. God took him up there so that nobody would know where he's buried. So they wouldn't do that, make this thing but Peter says, oh, no, we got to do it again. This is all very symbolic. Jesus represents the New Testament. Moses and Elijah represent the Old Testament. At first, they're all together, and then as Moses and Elijah are taken away and only Jesus is left, it symbolizes how God has made the Mosaic Old Testament laws, rituals, rules fade away, leaving only Jesus, the New Testament, to remain. And the fact that Peter says in verse four, it's good for us to be here. And Peter is afraid when he sees Moses and Elijah leave. Oh, that's all I've ever known in life is Moses and Elijah. And they're leaving. It's very symbolic of the tendency of the Jewish people to cling to the Old Testament laws and rituals, which is why I am not messianic and I will have nothing to do with observing Sabbath laws and I'll have nothing to do with observing Old Testament dietary laws. And it's why I did not fast last week during Yom Kippur. Because what feelings might have driven Peter in his fear to want to make these three shelters that he wanted to make there, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, he thought to himself, you know, the Lord Jesus is always accused of breaking the laws of Moses, especially the Sabbath laws, and wanting to destroy the laws of the prophet. He says, so, so Peter says, this is a great opportunity when Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus to build a memorial here that shows that Moses and the prophet were in agreement with Jesus. They were talking with him. And that way, Peter is thinking, I can show the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and all Israel. Jesus is, is not against Moses and the prophets. Here's a memorial. Look, everyone, Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus here. And so he asked the question, you want me to do this, Lord? He asked the question. Well, he got an answer. It wasn't from the person he asked the question. Verse five, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased to hear him. So he thinks, I got a great idea, Peter says. I got a great idea. And he says in verse four, Peter said, verse four, Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here if thou wilt. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's got a question. He asks Jesus his question, but it's God the Father that steps in and gives him his answer with a resounding, no, he says. The cloud came, and they were very afraid of that. Luke 9, 34. Luke 9, 34. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. Like we said, Peter later calls this excellent glory. The message of God was simple. Three words. In verse five, hear ye him. Hear Jesus is the message of God the Father. That's why Moses and the prophet Elijah are taken away because it's the time now to just hear Jesus. This is the message 
the prophets were to be heard before, but now Jesus is to be heard. That's what's meant in Hebrews 1.1. Hebrews 1.1. God, who at sundry times in the diverse spaces, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, period. The message was in the past, the prophets, today, Jesus. The message of, the message of Moses was to be heard before, but now Jesus is to be heard. It's what's meant by what Moses himself said in Deuteronomy 18.15, Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord thy God shall raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now, if they weren't just afraid before all this, with the bright cloud, the voice from heaven, disciples were very afraid. And in verse six, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. So the Lord sees now how afraid the disciples were, comes to them and he touches them. That's so precious. He touches them. There's just nothing like a touch to give you the assurance, the reassurance. And that's what the Lord did. That's because he is the Lord. And when it's all over, the disciples open up their eyes and it says in verse eight, verse eight, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. That last phrase is really important in that verse. They saw no man save Jesus only. You know, we have such a tendency to overrate person. You know, oh, he's such a good Bible teacher. Oh, you know, it can, oh, 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 oh. I love, you know, listen. And God wants us to, verse seven, see no man save Jesus only. Wouldn't it be good if over the door in every church auditorium that leads to the outside, this verse was posted there? As you walk out the door and it says, they saw no man but Jesus only. That'd be good. So they come down from the mountain and we can imagine how excited the disciples were, how anxious they were with all their feelings. And oh, wow, I can't tell. Wait till the rest of the boys hear this. You know, they're all filled with excitement. They just can't wait. But that's not going to be because of verse 9. As they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. So the Lord, in essence, was saying, Not yet. Why? I mean, what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration showed that Jesus is God. Why did he say, you keep that a secret until after the resurrection? Because he did not want the knowledge that he was God to cloud the impression of him dying as a man on the cross. He did not want people to think, of, oh yeah, he's dying hard, he's, he's God, he's not feeling a thing. He's God, he didn't really die like a man. That's what happened to me on a radio station owned by a person who started a very big denomination. And I was speaking on Psalm 22 and I said, the Lord Jesus uh, died of dehydration. I didn't know that the owner was listening to that program, but he was. And when he heard me say that, he said, that's it. He'll never speak on this station again. And I was fired. Why? Because he believed that Jesus didn't really die like a man. As he put it, he said, he dismissed his spirit. That's the reason why the Lord did not want the vision of this transfiguration to be known before he had died on the cross so that the knowledge of his deity would not cloud the fact that he died as a full man, fully man. He suffered and died just like a man. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus. Thank you that you love him so much and Lord, that you're teaching us to love him more and more. The longer we know him, the sweeter he grows. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.